Hello and welcome to the Who Can Convince You podcast. I'm Harry. I'm Tim. And we've got a special episode for you today. Uh, we've just had the pleasure of interviewing none other than Mr. Mike Batt, LVO. Uh, Lieutenant of the Royal Victorian Order. Correct, correct. So please enjoy our hour-long yeah, it was an hour, and it felt like half an hour. Yeah. It flew. All of the questions that we thought we were going to ask went out of the window when we decided to talk about uh, arranging books and hymns. Uh, yeah. But what can you do? It was a, an absolute pleasure. Mike is one of the nicest people. Yes. End of sentence. Yes, he is one of the nicest people. Yeah. I mean, he, he was lovely. He was as interested in us as we were in him. He didn't monopolise anything. He was full of stories and entertainment. It was great. Yep. So, have a listen, enjoy, and we'll see you at the end. And listen to his music. Do that as well. Buy it, though. Don't stream it. No. Do it properly. Money, money, money. Did you write that? Yeah, he did. I thought that was an Yeah, okay. WCCY. Mike, how are you? Hello. Very nice to be with you. I'm very well, thanks, Ashley. Very well. Good, good. Where are you calling us from today? Which part of the, the world? Would you believe Wimbledon? Good grief. Ooh. Underground? Or, I won't do it. <laughs> I won't do it's it. It's near the underground. I am near the underground. Um, oh. About five minutes walk from the underground. Um, but uh, actually, um, I've never lived in Wimbledon in my life until about two years ago. And throughout my life, right, whenever Wimbledon came up, people would say to me, oh, Wimbledon, let's ask Mike about that. He'll know. Yeah. And, of course, I just say, uh, no. I just wrote the songs. And I just <laughs> used the, the word. I just used the word. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's weird how fate takes a hand, isn't it? Yeah, you don't have opticians asking you about bright eyes all the time or anything. You know, it's just, I've just used the word. It's like... <laughs> So I thought what we'd do today is thank you very much for coming on. You've been yeah. like, you know, one of the names that's been in my life because Tim was my piano teacher. Oh. Big thumbs up. A long time ago. A long time ago. And I think it was yeah. probably you that introduced me to Mike Bat or one of the songs probably. Probably. I don't know which song it was, it, but it, I've, it, I think the first, one of the first singles I bought was Barbara Dixon. With caravans. Oh, right, yeah. Oh, that was fantastic. Yeah, well, that th there's a story to that. I mean, apart from the fact that it was from the film Caravans, which not many people know about the film. No. Um, it was a big budget movie. It was like Lawrence of, of Arabia to look at. Um, the, the three composers in, in the list, other than me, that were there before I came along, were John Barry, uh, the shortlist, Michel Legrand and oh. Maurice Jarre, who, who actually did write he did. the score yeah. to, um, yeah, you know, to um, Lawrence of Arabia. But and I was just, you know, I'd, had, I'd done one film and I had this album, Schizophonia, which had a lot of Arabic feel like stuff on it. Mm. They apparently had a copy of it, uh, having never heard of me, someone had a copy of it in the filming unit of the out there in the desert. And they were playing it while they were shooting. So when they got back, um, they tracked me down and said, you know, what do you think? And uh, I was still like number four on the list. And I said, well, how much would you pay normally 
for a composer and they said how much and I, it wasn't that much but you know it wasn't millions like they are now but it was whatever it was and I, and I said just pay me 10% of that and I'll go and hire an orchestra with it and and I'll just score one reel of the film for you and uh, it tragically I mean they gave me the job that was great tragically the film didn't do well it was a James Mitchell novel it, it should have done very well but it was it, the, the, they changed the story, lots of other things. But then uh, the record came out. Uh, all of these stories have got all of these songs with films attached. have got so many stories. But the bad story about that was that the good news was, as you say, it, it came out and it got noticed. And well, you noticed it because it got radio play. Yeah. Radio loved it. They started bashing it to death. It started absolutely bouncing up the charts. I think it was at number 41, 43 or something. And then CBS Records, which are now Sony Records, I don't know whether they would have done it in association with the management, but they had January, February, which was Barbara's next single. I remember that. It was coming out. Yeah. And, and they were in a hurry. I think it was about January already. So they just pulled it. They went out of stock on purpose. <sighs> And the record, which we thought was going to go to number one, it was moving so quickly. It just um, literally, like a balloon, it just deflated. And that was the end of that record. They just but stopped Barbara it. Said it. Sorry? They just stopped it. They just killed the record Agreed. so they could put January, February out. And to this day, Barbara says, uh, Caravans is her most requested mm. song. And, and January, February really isn't really one of her favourites. What a shame. Because it yeah, was, yeah, it, it was, just shows what, what record companies, um, certainly major record companies, can do. You know, they, you, you can't trust them an inch, actually. They've just got so much power. They do yeah. what they, you know, what they think is going to be yes. the thing, but it's not necessarily right. <laughs> it's no. I remember a band, right. what, from the late 60s, early 70s called the Enid, and they yeah. were completely scuppered by their record company, apparently. So they held them onto the contract, but didn't like them recording anything. Really? Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. yeah, they were a kind of very cool, round about the Middle Earth Club type of days. I remember seeing posters for the Enid. That's, that's, that's the yeah. one. Some lovely stuff, but um, they made very few albums, which was a big shame. Mm. Yeah. But yeah. back to Caravans, the single, it was lovely. And like most of us, like, like all your singles, it's I, I can't quite put my finger on what you do to that first verse because the first verse just seems to lead into the song. It takes you straight to the chorus and it acts like some sort of introduction. Is that something that you aim at? Uh, I think in that particular case, I was using the sort of rules I'd grown up with. Not They weren't rules anyone had taught me, but just by observing, you realise that if you've got two verses, in fact, in, in the film, we didn't have two verses because it was a shorter scene. So there's only the first verse and then a chorus, two choruses in, in the um, particular scene that they wanted me to write it for. Can you hear a dog barking? That's good. I thought I was going mad. <laughs> yeah, I could close the window, but do we care? Oh, it's all right. Don't, don't worry about it. Um, Maybe I should bark a bit and then you'll think it's me. It may be. Just every <laughs> every so often, just give us a bark and then we can sort of edit it in. Anyway, um, so so there was only one verse which I wrote. And then when we wanted a single, I wrote the second verse. And it, 
often the sort of rule of thumb is that the first verse sets up the reason. In this particular case, you're, you're painting a picture yeah. uh, of where you are. The early light is breaking, the morning sun is waiting in the sky, and I think I'm going to break away and follow where the birds of freedom fly, which explains exactly what the girls <laughs> It's like perfect. Yeah. <laughs> well, it just explains who she is and what she's thinking. Exactly. Because she's breaking away. And anyone who doesn't know the story, which is most people, because the film got bombed. By the way, that dog is really annoying me. I'm going to close the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As long as we didn't hear like a gunshot. That was... <laughs> it's funny if it was a talk show like, you know, Graham or, or Parkinson or something, you ran off to <laughs> Can I just go and Silent. shut the window? Silence <laughs> the dog. Um, anyway, so, yeah, you set the, you sort of learn as, uh, as, you, as you, look, you go on with songwriting and stuff, that, that that's what the, fir- the first verse is there for. It's to explain what the song's all about. You're setting it up, really. And then the chorus comes in, caravans, and we know what we're talking about. Oh, my soul is on the run overland i'm flying or whatever then when i then had to write a second verse for it which was after the film was made because they wanted a single and we wanted a single um so i then had to write a second verse usually i would write the second verse straight afterwards uh, so that i would still be in the same mood uh, i would know the, the timing would be that the album was going to get recorded you know in two days time or something and i'd, I'd have to get the second verse written uh but in this case it there were several months involved because we were off you know finishing the mix and the the film came out and or, or was about to and they said let's have a single so i i then had to write the second verse and that's where i was able to avail myself of the sort of opportunity to write a bit more deeply uh what what she was thinking because you you are when you're writing for a film you're thinking you're acting as if yes. you were the person who is in the scene so you had to I had to pretend to be an American girl in in a, who'd run off into the desert to marry a an Iranian colonel um, <laughs> well I didn't sort of literally pretend to be a person who did those things but you had to put your mind into their mindset and so but I also wanted it to be universal in terms of other people's experience. And so uh, it became, you know, I wish I had the wisdom to find some simple words to make you see that the things that mean a lot to you don't always seem to mean a lot to me. And that that back explains why she's left him. She leaves her American boring husband, as she sees it, and goes off it to seek adventure. Um, and, and that sets up the second verse. So it was a good opportunity. It would have been weird to have only had one verse. Um, yeah. But I do think that the verses are for explaining and the choruses are for, well, they're the, they're the, they're for, they're, they sell the song. Right. And they sell a whole idea. It's not a question of commercially selling it, but it incidentally coincides with the fact that, of course, it's commercial. Because that's what you're doing, you're selling a song, but you're, you sell the idea uh, to, to people listening. Right. Do you take that approach to all your songwriting, or have there been songs that you just had to bang out at a moment's notice? I mean, even if you are banging them out at a moment's notice, I always do think that the chorus is the most important part. Yeah. 
It should also explain what um, is happening. Uh, I, I'm not keen on choruses that just say, let's say you think of, of a great line, like, um, I've just fallen out of the window. Let's, let's just say, we're going to write a song, but I've just fallen out of the window. Um, uh, you, if you just say that four times, you, that doesn't actually help very much. It's just, all it's doing is making it an ear, earworm. Yeah. You know, I've just fallen out the window. Then you go, I've just fallen out the window. It's beginning to be my favourite song. Yeah. 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 Um, When's but, the album out? <laughs> I, I've had writers come to me, like artists who've written a song, and they might have written, well, it wouldn't have been I've just fallen out the window, but it, whatever it would be, they've just repeated it four times. And I'd say, look, at least put a secondary meaning in there, like yeah. an expl- or an explanation. So I've just fallen out the window. I've just fallen out the window because I wanted to... Um, da, 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 da. Yeah. So I've just fallen out the window. Yeah. It, makes, it gives you a break, just in, this, just in the, the same idea as the, when you're writing an entire song, you want something to take you away from it, like a middle eight or a guitar solo or something, and then you come back to the payoff chorus for the end. So, yeah, there are there are techniques, there are rules. And I always, people say, you know, do you write to a, for, a formula? Um, well, they've never said that really to me, but people do say it to each other, don't they? Or you, you, it, people don't like the word formula when it comes to songwriting, but there is a natural form and form was used throughout classical music uh, as being something to be admired. It's studied now. Sonata form is, is a particular form. You know, you have your first exposition of the first song, the first tune, the second exposition of the second subject. Then you have your development, then your recapitulation. Why shouldn't you have first chorus, verse chorus, middle eight, Sometimes even a key change, would you believe, if you're Barry yeah. yeah. <laughs> Boys of And then, <laughs> yeah, why not? You know? Yeah. I think, actually, the funnest, funnest, I love the word fun when it's required, when, when it's not meaning a, a noun. Mm-hmm. The, fun, the funnest um, type of middle eight is, or other key change, is where you go up a key but no one knows because you've gone down a key before that. Like, so, so you might pitch into the middle eight and, and let's say you're in G, you might pitch into the middle eight and uh, without anyone realizing you're in F. Oh. And then suddenly when you go back to G at the end. Like a looks, fake key like change. Yeah. Escalating key change. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's a few songs that modulate like for their last chorus, their key change, they've modulated down. Is it Whitney Houston? Is I want to dance with somebody? I think that last chorus is about really? a tone or two tones down from wherever the first key is. Did it go yeah. down? But it just feels brighter. Oh, it's just a, a fantastic song, isn't it? I love yeah. that. Yes. But there's a few well, songs I mean, like course, that. It could be that it goes down. I mean, down is up, depending on. Which yeah. Well, yes. yes. They've yeah. just gone so far up yeah. that you've <laughs> it's gone down, gone the other way. Yeah. I just wanted to. I wanted to go back to like the beginning because I'm really interested in how you got started, particularly piano playing wise. So I'm assuming that the piano is where you started. Sort of, yeah, definitely, sort of definitely, yes. 
because my dad got an old piano when I was about only well, was late as late as old as nine. I think I would have been eight or nine. He got an old piano from a junk shop just because he wanted to have one. He liked to plonk about a bit himself. He only could play two or three songs and all on the black keys, but they sounded great to me. He used to really thump like a, piano, a pub piano player. Mm. I couldn't imagine how he learned to play in that style, but just only know three songs. Because isn't Gilbert O'Sullivan <clears throat> only plays... I'm sure all the Gilbert O'Sullivan songs are all in sharp and flat keys, okay. aren't they? I'm sure that's... Because he's a great piano player. He's got a great feel. But I'm sure all of his songs are sort of in F sharp and B flat and C sharp and oh, I didn't know that. Which I really? consider like all the fiddly keys. Like yes. it's sort of it seems oh, yeah. like oh why would yeah. you don't want to write it in E flat? There's no. No, <laughs> no, I don't know where that mentality is. It's not in my head. I you know you freak out the minute someone you, the minute you see six sharps on a bit of music. Yeah. <laughs> you just want to play one, miss one, yeah. play one, miss one. And yeah. Just... yeah, yeah. But uh, my dad used to play in E flat and D flat and A flat and and. And he played three songs only. One of them was, uh, I know this is getting boring now, but one of them was uh, in 11 more d- months and 10 more days, they're going to turn me loose. 11 oh, more tenths. In 11 That one and a bit of sh- some bastardized Chopin. Da, 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 in the still of the night. Okay. Da, 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 da. He used to play that and something else. But it, it was all and it really made me think, wow, that's great. Yeah. So I started to pick out tunes on the but you know on the white keys because that was more natural to me. And then I realized left hand, well, that's gonna be another, I'm gonna have to teach myself the left hand. And then a kid at school, uh, a Polish kid, uh, had a, an accordion and he taught me to play the accordion. And the left hand of the accordion, of course, is buttons, and each button represents a chord. So you only have to play one button to get the whole of the chord of C major. And then next to it is, is, is G, which, of course, is the dominant. And the other side of the C, you've got your subdominant, which is F. So if you've got C, G, and F, as we all know as musicians, that you've got your ba- apart from which you probably might want an A minor occasionally, in the key of C, if you've got those four chords, you're home and dry. There's yeah. <laughs> rock and roll, and, um, sorted. Yeah, exactly. And, and and it started that way. And then, so I got myself an accordion and, uh, you know, it was a question of begging my dad because we had four kids. We didn't have that much money. Well, I say we didn't have that much money. We we, we weren't a moneyed family. You know, he was a civil um, what you, civil engineer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he earned a wage, but it wasn't, um, we weren't poor. And, and yet my mum and dad were always arguing about money and because we had four kids, so I'm not pleading poverty, but it was like, which one are you going to buy shoes for this month and which one for next, you know, it was literally rotation. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, they looked at, they were very good parents and um, I managed to get an accordion, a secondhand lovely accordion, 48 bass. And I learned my chords from that with my friend Kaz Novakovsky. Um, and that was my, my sort of, first instrument I could show off on, put it that way. Mm. Okay. But, but the piano, I then realised if I could learn how to play a left-hand triad of C, which was fairly easy, you know, play one, miss one, play one, miss mm. one. You know, that's what I teach kids these days. My granddaughters, and they come to the house. I say, I'll, I'll, I'll be able to teach you to play rock and roll in five minutes. And they go, really, yeah. Grandpa? <laughs> 
And you take them to the keyboard, you show them C major triad or whatever it might be, uh, F major and G major. And then they suddenly can play yeah. rock and roll. Yeah. Um, and that's how I learned to play, the, taught myself to play the piano. And of course, then when my mum and dad said, oh, we should send you to piano lessons, I wasn't interested because I was already playing all the, all the songs that my mates wanted to hear, mm. showing off. I always I reckoned that the reason that, uh, music was invented to impress women, at least for my. <laughs> I'm obviously doing it. I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm blowing down the wrong end of the piano here. Yeah. <laughs> well, in, in, in my case, it was because I wasn't a great. Was not a footballer. I always used to pray to be picked a going goal and hope that it didn't come down my end. Yeah. If you want to use the expression, I hope the ball never <laughs> came down my my end. Um, and uh, so I could lean against the goalpost. Or, or, but anyway, so I was not a, not a sportsman. I could I rode a lot of bicycle, well, one bicycle a lot. And um, I did a lot of running, but I wasn't a, a skilled sportsman. So so music was the thing that I, that I sort of got into. It's funny that if you're good at one thing, you sometimes don't good, get good at something else you might have been good at. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, because I... It, I don't think I ever consciously thought, oh, I'm lousy at sports, so I'm definitely going to do music. It just happened. Yeah, you just gradually yeah. go into it, don't you, without a, well, not, not without a plan, but it's, it's just the way you go. Yeah, exactly. I yeah, think mine it, was just that I just couldn't do anything else. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's, there's so many musicians who say that. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm yeah. saying. And <laughs> so I've, got a, I've got a friend who's got horses, um, and his daughter's um, got to, got into horses, and he says it's it's great because it means that they're not running running around, uh, you know, getting drunk in pubs yeah. and coming yeah. out at three o'clock yeah. in the morning. Yeah. They're so busy with the horses. Well, I mean, it, that's a bit of a sort of parental way of looking at it. Wow. But it's still the same the same thing, you know. She's busy having a great time riding mm. horses and doing gym carners, and. Um, Mm. Uh, she's not running. A, she's not loose on the streets, getting into trouble. No, no you're right. So, it's the same with me and music, really. Yeah. So, how far did your musical education go? In, in that you were taught by other people, or were you all? Were you just self-taught? Self-taught, self-taught totally, completely. Yeah, my mum and dad didn't uh, play. Uh, well, mm. I mean, I told you my dad played three songs. Yeah, but he didn't play really regularly. He just bought it the piano, more to do it up than anything else. He was good at woodwork and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. He liked buying things in junk shops. We, we had an old gramophone with some George Formby records. Hey. That was about it, really. Hmm. Saturday morning, listening to Pop uh, pop Club or whatever it was, um, uh, on radio, on the light programme. And But we, they, we never went to concerts. Um, none of the neighbours were interested in music. I had no friends that were interested in music. My friends but not the ones that were interested in music. So for some reason, uh, uh, well, I know one of the reasons, we lived in Bradford for a while, because my, let's say my dad was a civil engineer, we travelled around a lot. Every time there was a job available, it might be in another end of the country. Yeah. He would apply for it, and it might be a bit further up the scale for his promotion. Mm-hmm. So we would go from, we went from Southampton to Eastbourne, and from Eastbourne to York, from York to Bradford, and uh, it was in Bradford that I learned my music. Oh. Um, uh, but yeah, I was totally self-taught. And when um, 
one thing that did happen that was momentous was uh, before the days of junk mail that we know it today, which of course is all online, there was junk mail that came to the letterbox. And that was trying to get you to buy bulbs for the garden or mm. whatever it might be. And Concert Hall Record Club put a leaflet through the door saying that I could have four free EPs, because there was, was only vinyl in those days, four free EPs if I signed up to the Concert Hall Record Club. And it did say that I had to buy one album a year at the full price of 26 shillings, which is about one pound and a third, isn't it? Um, which it, these days might be five five quid or something, but I, I had, that was way out of my budget, but I did have to somehow cough up or save up for one, one uh, album a year. And I, in fact, I bought more than one album a year. I don't know what, what I did. Oh, I got a job in the pub playing the piano, that's right. Uh, and um, the first album I got was Schubert's Ninth Symphony. And I fell in love with it. I just played it over and over again. And uh, so I was into classical music when I was about 11 or 12. And while I was doing that, along came the Beatles and the Stones, which I was equally into. And so I ended up being interested in every, you know, all the classical composers and pretty much everything that came along yeah. uh, in, in pop music. You had the best of both worlds in that case. So when did you start writing your own songs? When, when did you think, okay, I'm, I'm not going to bother playing stuff that exists, I'm going to write my own? Um, I didn't consciously think, right, I'm going to sit down and write my own. But I do remember I set, uh, so from a, I've always been fascinated by lyrics. And A.A. A. Milne was a big favourite at home when we were very small. Uh, and I loved the way he used words, the rhythm of it, the rhymes, the, the imagination, everything that went into it. And that inspired me. And other, other good things like Lewis Carroll, again, uh, fabulous, you know, use of words, just in just was magic to me, yeah. the way people could use, some people could use words and some people didn't. That was fascinating as a sort of study but it was unconscious. I just loved it. So that was the lyric writer in me that was being fed with ideas. And then the music, when did I actually write a tune? The, the, the first thing I actually wrote a tune to was actually setting uh, a, a, a poem by A.M. Milne, James James Morrison, Morrison, oh. Weatherby, George, Dupree. Wow. Took great care of his mother, though he was only three. Yep. <laughs> and I, I can remember the tune I put it to now, even now, and I'm not going to sing it, but please don't ask. Um, but um, there was that, and then there was, oh, I wrote a, 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 tune, a, a poem that got into the school magazine when I was about nine, called The Man from Armada Was Searching His Larder. <laughs> that's better than mine now <laughs> yeah I mean wherever wherever Armada is I mean I'd heard of the Armada so I presume there was a place called Armada but I don't like think the ladder. Is. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> wow so you mentioned something then that I thought was really interesting that you sort of your cra you honed your craft playing in pubs and I know yeah. for me that's probably the same sort of thing you know like 
the, the big one that I sort of sticks in my memory is having to accompany like a drunk man singing The Wonder of You somewhere oh. between G oh. and F sharp in exactly. 13.8, you know, when it's... Yeah. it's a- yeah. Well, you, you and I have got the same um, experience that, that I had. That's what I had. I started playing in pubs when I was 14. It was the only way to, to stay in the pub without getting kicked yeah. out um, was to be the piano player. Yeah. And they used to line the top of the piano. Uh, everyone would buy you a pint and it would be sitting there. <laughs> be, you, you know, I don't know how many pints that you could line up along the top of a piano, probably about 10. But I, I managed to polish them all off. So I must have been pretty pissed by the end of the evening. <laughs> the longest versions so, yeah. of Way Down <laughs> Upon the Swanee River that's ever. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and also I remember a guy, and I remember his name, his name is Morris, and he'd come into the pub, it was in Winchester, and he'd come into the pub and he'd, they'd, you're right, they'd be, he'd be completely pissed and he'd be leaning all over you going, I'd like to take you. <laughs> slow boat to China. China. <laughs> and that, you're going, China, is it China or China? <laughs> and you think, and you're just trying to work out the course and that's the best way to learn. Isn't it, it is, it? isn't it? Said. Yeah, you've, it forces you to think on your feet. It's terrifying as well yeah. because when you can, especially when you can feel that they're going somewhere that you, you can, yeah. you know, you're in A, so let's quickly, yeah. let's play E7, <laughs> let's move to B, you know, yeah. just uh, yeah. to go with him, yeah. go with him. And- exactly. The good news is, as I was trying, and it happened recently, because uh, 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 with COVID, I've hardly been out at all, but we happened to be at somebody's drama school. Um, play thing that they'd done and we went back to their house and we were I was at the piano and they were asking me oh yeah play us a song sort of thing and somebody was singing um somebody somebody well known actually but oh, it doesn't really matter I'm not going to give it anyway and they were, <laughs> oh. come on I'll sing such and such what it was and so they got up and they they thought I was following them and in fact they were following me oh. and of course as you know as, as keyboard players um, that doesn't work if you don't know the song because they have to, they've got to pitch for the note. They've got to be brave enough to be a slightly ahead of you. And, and then you can follow them. Uh, you hum it and I'll play it yeah. thing works in those situations. But it, if the singer, the best situation of all, I know that, that, yeah, I don't think I've ever done an interview where I've tried to explain the skills of being a pub piano player, but <laughs> if you've got a good crowd in, and they all know the song, you can go as wrong as you like yes. and they'll still carry on because they've stopped listening to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, as long as you're not right up high in octaves, leading them on purpose to yeah. bite through, <laughs> you, can, you can follow them from low down uh, and softly until you find your feet again, in which case you can get back on them again and yeah. get up and yeah. they think you've played it all the way through. Yeah. The amount of times that we've had to play sort of sort of individually and as a band for rugby club north wales sort of end of season dues where they all decide that we're all going to sing delilah and we're going to sing it now <laughs> and it's sort of yeah. well which key do you want to sing delilah in f sharp yeah. some of them oh. some of them are in g yeah. some of them are in a yeah. flat it's sort of it we'll go for it you it's, know it's for shouting yeah yeah well, yeah. you, you start it in a key and then the girls all go, can we have a bit higher? And the guys go, yeah. no, can we have a bit lower? Yeah, yeah. And uh, eventually you end up somewhere. 
I think the best thing is just to start it in one key and they've just got to lump it yeah. if they can. I think that's the only way to do it. Just just get on with it. Stick to, <laughs> stick to your guns, play it, let them shout whatever they want to along with it. And everybody will have had a nice evening. Everybody's happy. As long mean, as... Have you noticed how in, in, in church, if you heard someone's wedding or I'm, I'm not a regular church girl, I, 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 I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a churchy or churcher, mm. but um, uh, having grown up at school, you know, going to church and as one does in life generally, uh, occasionally go to things. Um, all, the, all of the hymns are in the wrong key for the guys and the girls. Yes. They're right in the middle. They're yeah. sort of averaging out yeah. so that it can sort of nearly be right for everyone. So if you're a bloke with a tenor kind of voice, you're always jumping octaves to yeah. try and fit the notes. Yeah, I'm, I'm, for me, I'm either way too low or way too high for the things. And I've, I've got experience of singing in choirs as well. And I can never pitch it right. I can never pitch yeah. it right in church. It's very strange. And I always think it's me maybe not, not, not hearing it properly. But I'm, no. I, I'm either too, I'm either falsetto or I'm low double bass. I just cannot get the right key. I think maybe that they use girls' keys uh, and we've got to just fit in. Because I completely agree with you. You're always jumping octaves. You're, yeah. you're singing the first line in one that uh, high, yeah. and then you've suddenly got to go down octave basso. Exactly. For the next line. <clears throat> I'm I'm glad you said that because I thought it was just me. I yeah. thought maybe there's something wrong with my hearing. I just can't I can't figure out where I am. But um, no, no, that's all right. That's fine. They're in they're, they're in one of those <clears throat> that sort of sweet spot where. You can't even transpose it. There's no way to make it comfortable for anybody because it just becomes more extreme wherever you move it. Yeah. That place is the only place it's going to live. And it's yeah. uncomfortable for everybody. Because it's funny <laughs> you mention that because it, this is a shameless plug for anybody that's watching. We're in the process of writing an album at the moment because we sort of we got fed up of having to sort of... Well, not fed up of playing other people's songs. I, I, it's just that we thought, let's just give it a go and we'll just do it. So our inspiration was Mike Matt, A Songwriter's Tale. It was, actually. And then ah. <laughs> and what was the the second one was Randy Newman, The Anthology. And the th- oh, well, I'm in good company then. And, and the third one is The the Big Red Book of Welsh Hymns. <laughs> that was... <laughs> You can't go wrong with the hymns. Okay. They're so well written. Well, that's the thing we were saying about hymn writing, is that they're just so... The voice leading is absolutely perfect. It goes exactly where you think it's going to go. And it's sort of, and they're written in that way that by the time you've done the second verse or the third verse, like there's no sort of, there doesn't tend to be that many choruses in hymns, but they're written so well and the voice leading so perfect that by the time you get to the end verse, everybody knows exactly where they're going. Yeah, it's lovely. It's it's just so well done. Yeah. And, 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 I know we were just talking negatively about hymns in the terms of in the terms of the fact they've got to average out between female and male voices in key terms. Mm. Yes, you're right. And and, and if you I, I noticed early on that my <clears throat> my court, the way I would write a tune is quite similar in style sometimes to what Elton would would do. In other words, you pick a you, you, the way he changes his chords was very similar. Uh, to the way I sometimes choose to, to... So, you know, you get those where you're playing in, let's say, use an easy key like G, and then you um, you suddenly go to a B and then an E, A and D and back into the G. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, it's, and that is very hymnal. Yeah. And I think that's because both he and I 
and of course many other songwriters, including yourselves by the sound of it, were brought up, certainly I was, in a sort of Church of England kind of yeah. uh, mm. atmosphere at school, or where all Catholics, some people, I don't know, wherever it was, but the the the, um, the hymns have got this chord structure where they do go out of out of, they go they go what I would call back into the into the uh, chord um, what do you call it? the circle of chords they go back a few steps and then come around back in again to the dominant and yes. then off you go again. It's yeah. like the cycle of fifths. <clears throat> it's a circle of fifths, but they've sort of, they've pie charted it off and they'll go so far and then they'll put that one in and they'll go, ha but we're going to yeah. go back here to get, this. it's yeah, all like, over the place. What's that, what's that one? To those in peril on the sea. sea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's lovely. But the, Bit at the beginning, the chord structure. What is it? Um, I haven't got my piano on. Uh, it says, "Please wait." Yamaha. Yamaha. Dot 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 dot. I. I... <clears throat> Which we shouldn't. Have, we, have you gone quiet, Mike, or is it, it just it's, me? It's just, I think the piano's thrown it and I've moved the button. Ah, it's all right. right okay, it's all fine. Yeah. Okay. It's all fine. Yeah. It's all right. It was, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Don't worry. So what do you think about modern songs? I mean, going back to, say, the Gershwins or the Berlins, who made good use of the circle of fifths or circle of fourths, that just seems to be yeah. lost now. Yeah. It is. Yeah, I was. I've got to say, I was watching the Brits last night, and a lot of it's because of rap. I'm not blaming it, but a lot of rappers would rap in one, uh, just a one chord. One chord all the way through. It's just yeah. a feel, isn't it? Yeah. I think they just sort of. Yeah. It's that they get the beats. Yeah. yeah. It's just a feel they thing. Beats, they've got a chord going. You don't need more than you know an E, the bass playing a really good groove. Yeah. A, a great little you know drum lick. Uh, going through it, and then they just rap. They don't expect it to. We throw them like hell if it had to change. The, 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 they're not even singing, really. Um, and then in comes the hooky chorus, um, where if they've taken a hooky chorus to make it interesting, and then back to the verses, which are all rapped. And, yeah. I, and I found that that was happening all the time. Um, last night I was watching, say, the Brits, and I was just thinking, really? I mean, is this where it's all going? Hopefully... Like music, as music always does, it changes and grows, and hopefully it'll grow somewhere more more interesting. Yeah, I, I hope so. For me, music seems like it's been going backwards for the past almost 100 years yeah. now. I mean, it got to a peak, and when it got very experimental around about 1900, and then it just seems to be getting less and less yeah. and less as time goes on, yeah. which is a shame. Yeah, I agree. Same thing's happening in classical music. Exactly. Yes. It's yeah. funny how all the arts, you know, fashion, 
Uh, fashion's quite interesting at the moment, but it's it's not as interesting as it was in the seventies and eighties. No, no, um, it was. It's it was... funny how music, and not only the speed, um, not only the style, but the speed at which it changes uh, these days is much quicker. Because yeah. in the mm. old days, they had any communications. I mean, if you couldn't talk like this if you lived where you do and I live where I am. I'd have to be a travelling troubadour, or you would, and come to me and tell mm. stories. Yeah. And, and, and it takes ages for, you know, somebody beats somebody else in some far-off country, which affects your sovereignty. Mm. You don't find out until nine months later. When <laughs> He's already dead. Yeah. Suddenly yeah. speaking French, you know. Yeah, yeah. Wait, I, so um, and, 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 but but the, ro- the rotations of fashion which might have taken 50 years or 100 years in, in the year 1600, 1700, yeah. 1800. They, that moved so slowly because of newspapers and there wasn't, were no outlets. Uh, I know I'm rambling way off probably what you wanted to talk about. No, <laughs> but, you know, it, um, yeah. fashion changes so fast these days because newspapers want it to change. I, 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 even me using the word newspaper states me because... Mm. It's 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 uh, social media and everything. Yeah. They want it to change. It doesn't change. It's not interesting. So let's change it. Let's move it. Let's change it. Let's you know. Let's be quick. Yeah. There's a sort of um, what's the word hurried um, panic. To, you know, I've got to get something out quick. It's, so therefore, it's got to be short, small. Yeah, which is a shame. It really is. I mean, you know, some things can develop over time and not change completely. Um, yeah. That's the way I think they should go. Uh, you were saying about classical music. When when you started writing, did you just hear the melody or did you hear the layers of arrangement in the background as well? Well, classical, if ever I write a classical, so-called classical piece. Not, not just classical. Let's say um, the first few songs that you wrote that were recorded. Did you hear strings in the background? Did you have the whole arrangement of the pop song up in your head already? Um, to be honest, probably no. Right. I would think the first the first ones I wrote weren't that great. Um, in fact, they keep popping up and haunting me. I think. <laughs> <laughs> you know, eBay. I, I I see somebody's bought. You know, I look I look on on Twitter. Somebody says, "Oh, look, this is an early Mike Bat demo." Panic. <laughs> And I listen to it, and there's a song called Wayside, and, and the person playing it doesn't want to play the whole thing because he wants to sell the... All it is is an acetate from my first publishing company. Not my... I didn't own the company. I was the writer. And they're trying to... They'd make an acetate, which was cut on a lathe, like a little record, and they'd send those to the producers. And it was one of those, and it's just me on a piano singing this song called Wayside, it's not a bad little song, actually. But I, I wish I had had the demo because then I'd be able to hear the second verse because they fade it out on, <laughs> on YouTube. And you can't, you know, obviously, so you can't copy it. And they've sold it on. And I've even tried to trace it and track it down. And uh, apparently, well, the, someone on Twitter did anyway, on my behalf. And the guy said, oh, no, I don't know who I sold it to. And uh, so, but, but so, again, slightly off tangent there, but off at a tangent, but um, so the early songs I would play on the piano, I'd sing them, 
sometimes I'd have an idea about what sort of orchestration I might like to do with them if ever I got the chance. Right. But um, I, it was soon after I started, it was after my first single session on which we did three songs in three hours, which is the usual allocation of number of songs per session. Uh, somebody else was orchestrating. It was Richard Hewson, who's brilliant. Uh, he did uh, Those Were the Days, Mary Hopkin. And he also did The Long and Winding Road for, um, for Phil Spector, as hated by Paul McCartney until I think he's got used to it now. But still a very good arranger. And I, I, I thought I learned a lot from him, watching him work. Um, and so that on my second uh, record, even though it first hadn't been a hit, I said to my, um, it was my boss by then, because I was head of A&R for the record company, um, up by some foolishness of theirs, they pointed me as, as that when I was 19. And I said to him, oh. you know, can I, I'd like to arrange my own now. And he said, fine, if you think you can, go for it. And from there on, I was writing my own strings and brass and horns and whatever. Really, from 19? Yeah, yeah. And I... I was arranging when I was 18, but I was doing it for other people, like Family, Family, uh, an album called Music in, the Doll, Music in the Doll's House, which is, if you haven't heard it, you just ought to check it out on Spotify. Is that family the same music. family that John Wetton used to yeah. be? Yeah, yeah. Uh, family were a, the band that was coming up in 1968 that the Beatles, even the Beatles thought were going to be the next Beatles. It was unbelievable, and they, they were happened to be on the record that I was signed to, the record label, uh, Liberty Records. And um, although eventually they, they jumped ship and went to uh, Reprise, when they went to America to cut their record. Um, so actually cut the lacquer. We thought they had to travel to it in New York, which was ridiculous. Just to cut that lacquer deeper. It's crazy. Um, but anyway, when, when they were there, they were stolen by another record company but when they worked when they were making the record the the manager john gilbert said to me oh so you write down the top lines which is what i used to do i was just gonna ask that of a living i used to i used to write the top lines of people's songs so jeff lynn for example was signed to the same company with his band the idle race before ELO, and um He'd come in and he'd have some songs that were all on tape and it, he'd ask me to write th write them down. And so I wrote the, the dots. Sometimes you'd have to listen so many times through because you couldn't quite hear what the bass was doing. You didn't know it was a G with a B bass or whatever it was. So um, that was really good ear training. And then I prided myself on being the most, uh, the neatest copyist in town in terms of writing lyrics underneath it and putting a nice um, the human clean. finale yeah exactly that's what i wanted to, i wanted people i wanted people to look at the bit of sheet music that i wrote out by hand and think oh wow that was good yeah rather yeah. than scribble it well, but, when did um, the when did the reading come into your life then because obviously you were self-taught so for the composing aspect and the, like especially the arranging really yeah how did that was it from books was it like Henry Mancini yeah. book of arranging or, you know, sort of. Did, uh, did you guess that? Well, yeah. No, I've always thought that, especially 
there's some stuff on YouTube of um, uh, the guy on the voice that you signed. Um, yes, uh, Bob, Bob Blakely. Yeah, there's there's some big band arrangements in that, and it is so Henry Mancini in a good way, yeah. not sort of stolen. Henry Mancini book. Is it going <laughs> to... Oh, wow. <laughs> Good grief. That is my very first <clears throat> arranging book. And sure enough, it's got all how to write for five saxes in a cluster of, you know, yeah. moving, uh, yeah. you know. Mm. You know, and how to use mute, brass mutes and all that sort of stuff. Uh-huh. And... Um, uh, he, he doesn't write, he only writes about three pages on strings. Like, it, someone might look it up and find out that in fact it's six pages. I don't know, but it, it, he doesn't write an awful lot about strings, but he writes an awful lot about just how to write a score. And, and there, were, there were little vinyl records in it when I first got it. They've gone now. I've got the empty little pouches in the, in the book. <laughs> These days, it's, it's issued with CDs, which, of course, are now also out, slightly out of date. Um, but, yes, that was the very... I thought you must have read somewhere that I started. No, because I, d- I know oh, everybody that's... tends to say that they sort of, you know, this book was the thing. And for me, I'm not saying this because you're here, it probably is, like, my learning book was yeah. A Songwriter's Tale. Because I remember when I got oh. it, it was around the same time that I got the the Randy Newman book, and I had a copy, and I I just wore the thing out, and then I thought on an off chance, I don't know how old I was, probably about eleven, that I just thought I'll send Mike Bat an email and see if he can sign this book, and then you sent me, you said don't put no, don't send it back, you sent me a signed copy of just sort of oh, it great. turned up like a couple of weeks later, and it honestly. The Songwriter's Tale is probably one of my Bible books. You know, if I if I if I went onto Desert Island Discs, which I I think is uh, very unlikely, uh, eventually you never know. But you never it, you know it probably would be the Desert Island songwriting book because it is the songs in it. I'm not doing this as a sort of I am doing this as a bit of a plug, but just as you yeah. go through them on the back and you just think right, Bright Eyes, brilliant, Soldier Song, brilliant, Winter's Tale. System 605, theme from Caravans, I feel like Buddy Holly, Lady of the Dawn, Please Don't Fall in Love, I Watch You Sleep In, Railway Hotel, closest thing to create. It's just constant of sort of perfect Uh. songwriting. And I mean that in a sort of, when you boil it down to sort of, you don't have to listen to the song, even just looking at it on paper, it does exactly what you think it's going to do. In, In the same way of the hymn book, I'm not saying that you, you know, all your songs are just like hymns, but they're just, they're just written in such a way that you know where it's going to go. And occasionally it trips you up or there's, there's a bar of two, four, or, or we call the yeah. clever bar oh, yeah. where, you know, it, it's going along nicely. And then all of a sudden it sort of trips you up and then yeah. you come back in. It's just, it's mm. perfect that just seeing it written down, it is just. Well, it's fun. I'm very flattered, but uh, interest. I think is it. I, I, I know you said. Inter- I think it's funny when people say interestingly, and then they say what it is, and, and you think to yourself, "Well, we'll be the judge of whether it's interesting or not." Uh, but um, I, I never think, "Oh, I'm going to put a two-four bar in here." 
I just think about the idea, and then if it if it has to be expressed by leaving a, yeah. a note out, mm. then you have to write a two-four bar or a, or an extra four bar. You know, the the open, let's say the verse of um, "Closest Into Crazy." Yeah, that goes everywhere, doesn't it? Three, four, and one, two, three, and one. Yeah. Two, three, four. Well, that's only because I wanted an extra breath before she came in with the next song. The next, it was actually me singing it on an album ten years before Katie ever did it. Yeah. But uh, I just wanted that bit more space because if you just do it in three four, you, it'll be. Yeah, and it, that's too quick. It's and so you just need that extra breath. So a four-four bar comes in. That's that's all it's for. Yeah, it's so, not to be trying to be tricky. So, how do you write? Are you led by the rhythm of the lyrics, or do you come up with the melody first and then add the lyrics in, or is it a bit of both? Of course, that's the most commonly asked question on earth. But you answered, you asked it in a very uncommon sort of way. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I'm not insulting the question. Uh, yeah, um, I write all different ways, but the way I like least is if somebody gives me a tune and I've got to write the words to it, which I did do with Phantom of the Opera, for example. Oh, yeah. Um, although a lot of my words got taken out, so I ended up 20% writer of that song. Not um, that that was a very messy situation, so let's not even go there. But didn't didn't uh, the same thing happen to Richard Stilgo on Phantom of the Opera? Did he? Well, he came in and replaced a lot of my uh, lyrics. Oh dear! So oh, he's sorry. still <laughs> substantially involved. And then yeah, then another another person came in and wrote a lot more yeah. of them. So it, it was very messy. I mean, Andrew was very. Uh, I don't know. I think he when I wrote the song with him and he and I were the two only writers I was the lyricist he was the melodic melodist mm -hmm. um that was very simple and I thought well we've both written a song and when I realized that he was about to think about possibly changing stuff I thought to myself well hang on if, if people obviously in a in a theatrical situation if you are like Wagner or someone like that you can change your librettist and they work for you and you can do what you like but I, I had come from a world where two songwriters get together and write a song and they're equal owners of it. Mm -hmm. So one would have to ask the other if they could change a word or yeah. change, yeah. bring another um, participant in. And I remember saying to him, you know, I could just change some of your music. Yeah, so, well, but, yeah. <laughs> I don't like that call, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but his, his sense of humour and mine didn't always uh, collide in the right way, put it that way. Sometimes they collided in the wrong way. So, so, it, it, but I was trying to make a point. I remember saying it to Cameron McIntosh one time, and I think he got quite upset with me. He, he didn't, because Cameron's so lovely, he would never get upset with you to your face. But it must have pissed him off afterwards, I think. Uh, partly because they never asked me to write any more of the Phantom of the Opera. But um, Shame. Uh, I said, look, you know, two people write a song, you can't just have one person deciding to change half of it. Um, you got you have a chat about it, mm. surely. And uh, anyway, so that that was how that that's how I ended up being the twenty percent writer of um, that song. But uh, to get back to your answer, the answer to the to the question, what comes first? So that's the least comfortable. There are people who get a French song 
that, my great friend Herbie Kretzmer, who sadly died last year, year before last, who wrote all the lyrics to Les Miserables, and he didn't, he didn't just translate them, he wrote them. They're Did he? I, I thought he yeah. translated. No, no, he was a French speaker. Right. Um, he spoke fluent French, but he, he wrote new lyrics. I didn't know that. Very often to mean the same dramatic thing, but yeah. they were absolutely his ideas. He wasn't just changing the word rouge for the word red. Right, okay. <clears throat> because he translated yeah. all Charles Aznavour's French songs into English, didn't he? He did, and that's how they got to know each other. That's how he got to be known. In fact, I think Cameron, uh, what happened was um, Herbie went to see Cameron mm -hmm. to say, um, I've got this musical with all of Charles Aznavour's stuff. And Cameron wasn't really interested, but he, he, he took the meeting because he knew of Herbie being a very important writer um, and, and also <laughs> a theatre critic, I might add. Which were, of course, not would have been far from Cameron's. Wouldn't have been far yeah. from Cameron's mind. I think he was a film critic and, as well, wasn't he? He, he was, yeah. yeah. But he, but he, and a lovely man. And but he, he, he uh, it must, it stayed in Cameron's mind that uh, Herbie was the was Aznavour's lyricist. Um, again, it wasn't all translated. It was a lot contributed originally. Um, because when suddenly the next knock on his door was um, uh, Alan Bobbleal with um, Les Miserables, uh, who better to think of to write the English lyrics but the guy who'd been in his office the week before. That was lucky, Herbie wasn't Kretzmer. it? <laughs> good grief. And, and, and of course that paid to Herbie Kretzmer's, um, you know, um, gold leaf bill for yeah. the next, uh, yeah, 50 years, whatever. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, so I, I always thought that was just a straight translation. Obviously not. Yeah. And the lovely, yeah. lovely I, lyrics. I, I find it really hard to do, um, say some people make a living out of it, take a French or an Italian tune and put lyrics to it. I can do it, but I find it a lot harder than... Um, and I, I also, I'm not that... I don't know what pleasure I would get out of writing a tune and then giving it to someone else to write the lyrics no. and not know what it was going to be about. Yeah, you're right. To it's... me, the, the most, the most, um, the most important thing about a song is what it's about. Yeah. The message. Um, and the second most important thing is how you, what angle you take on it, how cleverly you twist mm. the idea yeah. of, I'm going to jump out the window and say it a different way. <laughs> it's rapidly becoming my favourite song. <laughs> I'm going to write that. Do you mind if we steal that? Just for... Yeah. yeah. yeah I, you right. know, like, what's another way of saying I'm going to jump out the window? I can't think of one at the moment. It might be, you know, I have a suspicion I'm about to land in the garden. <laughs> yeah, thud. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a way of saying something in a different way. Funny enough, name dropping, uh, I nearly said without name dropping, but it is with name dropping. I had lunch um, with Katie Melua only about four days ago. Mm -hmm. We were talking about writing, uh, about lyric writing. I hadn't seen her for a few years, actually. We were in a pub having lunch and uh, she's doing a thing at Oxford about, she's helping us, uh, on a practical lyric, lyric writing course. And she's been studying it a lot academically because she's very much wanting to be a student of 
she would call herself a student of lyric writing. She she reads poetry. She, you know, she she um, she studies uh, and she's been on courses and stuff because she so much wants to become a better lyricist. Like we all, we're all on a mission to improve yeah. ourselves. Um, anyway, we're talking about lyric writing. She said she'd been talking to Don Black, who's a mutual friend. And, and Don had said the most important thing is the angle. Right. The angle, your, your angle on it. How do you change it? I mean, you know, I was writing a song about somebody going crazy because they're um, in love with someone and maybe they shouldn't be. And, uh, and it came up with a, the closest thing to crazy. And that was the angle that I took, which is a different way of saying, I shouldn't really be in love with you, mm. should I? I am. Why are you driving me so crazy by doing all these things to me and treating me this way? Um, so so when, when you're writing your lyrics, because this, this is our next step, oh. isn't it? This is the... This is oh, the mountain God. that's like in front of us of yeah. sort of we've got like eight songs down and vague ideas what they're going to be about. So if you're when you're writing your lyrics, are you putting yourself like Randy Newman sort of as a character or do you write it as sort of as what you'd feel or a bit of both? Always, well, let me say it. I I I I rarely I wouldn't pretend to be a cowboy or a rider in the rain just for the sake of the song. Oh. Unless it was for, unless it was for a film mm. um, where there was a rider who was in the rain or, or, or that the, or, or the, that was the imagery. In other words, I felt like I'm riding through the rain, you know, that would, but it'd be my thought. It'd have to be me thinking it mm. about a particular thing. So you become an actor. Right. Particularly if you're writing just something dramatic, whether it's the theatre or the film. But you don't, I, I never write just for the sake of having a hit. Uh, I'd never write, oh, you know, what was a hit? Oh, that bloke that wrote a, a thing about someone jumping out the window. Um, I'll write one about jumping out the window as well. You know, I, I would never do that. It's got to be from the heart. Okay, yeah. I've, I've got to actually want to jump out the window. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It's not that bad, is it? <laughs> you know. I know that I know you mentioned that you wanted to ask a very specific question about a section of the orchestra which bewilders you slightly. Woodwind, yeah, yeah. You you seem to treat oboes very very nicely. Well, I got a reputation for being a bit of an oboeaholic. Well, they're um, all, they're always used beautifully. They really are. Well, it's very nice of you, but. There are only four woodwinds in an orchestra, yeah. apart from the bass clarinet, which is still a clarinet, and apart from the cor anglais, which is still an oboe. Mm -hmm. uh, on Railway Hotel, I did use a cor anglais. Yep. Uh, beautiful, beautiful uh, baritone version of the oboe, um, as you know. They're lovely, aren't they? Um, and, yeah, I mean, when you're writing orchestrally, you do only have a choice of four. Yeah. Um, that's why you mix it and match it like a chemistry outfit, you know, with maybe put a couple of horns in with, with a flute uh -huh. to get that different sound that everyone says, oh, what's that? Yeah. But um, after about four or five singles had oboes prominently in the intros, <laughs> <laughs> I thought, you know what? I think people are starting to notice. Um, and so I stopped doing it. Um, 
Which is and, a shame because uh, I always thought... It, yeah, it's done so well as well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really nice. I'm just wondering how you learned to write for individual sections of the orchestra. I mean, when I was, when I was doing it, I had a book called the Walter Piston, the Walter Piston uh, no, Guide. I've got that one as you, well. You've got yeah. the Piston Guide to Orchestration. And that, that tells yeah. you everything you need to know about the ranges and what instruments are available. But it doesn't yeah. seem to do anything else. It's just like a Haynes manual for instruments. Uh, yeah, uh, a lot of them, those books are, they're just uh, like, there's one called Jacob, uh, a guy yeah. called Jacob. I, I had, that was my other one that I had as a companion to my men's, Mancini was the mm-hmm. jazzy one. Yeah. And and the Jacob was the, was the serious symphonic one. Uh, but it did tell you, uh, it, it told you every blowing technique and yeah. all the things you need to know. Um, so... I suppose you just go between the book. Rimsky Korsakov, as you probably know, wrote a fantastic book on orchestration called Principles of Orchestration. I he was a fantastic that. orchestrator, wasn't he? Was... Yeah. Uh, wow. He, what a what a talent he was. Yeah, but didn't... when people asked him, "Do you, you know, I love your arrangements," or said that to him, he didn't say, uh, I, I, "Or something." I I don't orchestrate music. I compose for orchestra. Oh wow! Really. Yeah. Which is, might sound a bit poncy, but oh, that's, no, that's, but, the right, I mean, you that, know, that's what he's done. I think a lot of Mussorgsky um, stuff would have been lost without Rimsky-Korsakov, I think. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I've just had a look at the clock, and it is looking as if the clock has beaten us. No, as, that's uh, all seriously. right. Yeah, <sighs> we're just about to get to the interesting questions, probably, after I rambled on. <laughs> all the things you didn't want to hear. That's so, all right. Oh, that we, we appreciate every second. Yeah. Well, I was I've enjoyed w- it, actually. Yeah, I was having a wonderful time. How long have we been talking for? Just well, so, we've o- gone over, an hour. over an hour. Seriously, yeah, it, yeah. Felt, it, it didn't <laughs> feel like half an hour. Don't I worry. I really enjoyed it. Oh, so, thank you very much. So have I. It's, it's, it's been lovely. Thank you very much indeed for the, for the hour. Well, and also, good luck with your album. Oh, my fingers crossed. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll jointedly do that, but thank yeah. you so much well, for doing this. Out. So and, you know, maybe I can beg a, a copy or tell me a way oh, I can yeah. buy it. And, and I'll go and see how much of uh, Songs of Praise is in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I, you, they stole that from me and that was from... <laughs> if you abide with us. Yeah. <laughs> just, just alter the title slightly. Yeah, it'd be fine. Yeah, with an oboe intro. Yeah. Oh, exactly. <laughs> of course. Right, well, thank you so much, Mike, for doing this. We'll have to we'll have to do a round two, or maybe post COVID we can do a, an in person round two or something. You know, we'll we'll yeah, that, that that'd be great. Yeah, we'll sort well, something out. Thank you very, very much nice indeed. Thank you for having a chat, and I'm, I'm glad that we had time to do it. No Lovely. problem. Thank you thank so you. much. Okay, thanks, Mike. All of us. Okay, cheers then. Bye Take now. care. Bye. Bye bye. Oh, what a shame. I'm really enjoying that. that was, yeah. Oh, I thought it was it was lovely. It was great. It was like being in his house. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with God, um, or Mike Bat, as other other people call him. Um, but, yeah, brilliant. And we didn't mention the Wombles. We didn't mention the no, Wombles. We've just mentioned the Wombles. So we'll, we'll mention them now. That oh. A Wombling Merry Christmas is probably the best Christmas song that's ever been written, other than A Winter's Tale. Yeah, it, and the Mariah Carey one, which I can't remember the name of. Oh, yeah, but, but of course, without seeing a Mariah Carey one. But I think Wombling Merry Christmas, it's got a fantastic introduction. Mm. It's just, 
Yeah. yeah. Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. Yeah, why are we talking about Christmas? I don't know. But yeah, so if you enjoyed this, please consider um, visiting our website, wccy.co.uk. If you like what we do, you can support us on Ko-fi. If you like the interview, you can follow the regular podcast. We do all sorts of stuff other than interview Mike Batt. We do a normal segment of the show, normal, which is Doctor Who reviews. I know, thrilling. And then every other week we do a Look Who's Talking episode where we just discuss random topics. So if that sounds like a thrilling evening in for you, then feel free to listen to the podcast. Uh, like it and share it and do whatever you want with this video. And yeah, we'll see if we can get some more guests. If you'd like more guests, put them in the comments or send us an email to mail at wccy.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at who can convince and um, yeah, wccy.co.uk. Who can convince you podcast. I was Harry. I'm still am Tim. You're still Tim. I'm still Harry as yep. well. Yeah. And that was Mike Bat. And he was great. He was great. Done. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Take care. And we'll see you again soon. Bye. You can send in your feedback, comments and suggestions by contacting us. On Twitter at Who Can Convince. Email us at mail at wccy.co.uk or visit www.wccy.co.uk Be sure to leave the podcast a rating and a review on your podcast platform. For bonus content and access to the podcast Discord server, consider supporting us on Ko-fi. You can find all the links and information on the WCCY website. Thanks for listening and thank you for your support. you mike fine by the way i enjoyed your performance on the song oh thanks very much yeah thought you know thought i'd give it a go i I attempted or butchered as some people might say uh, something out of there oh lovely very nice there's a lot of nice stuff to choose from isn't there well you you know yes (laughs) all nice happy belated birthday by the way thank you very much um I, I've sort of lost count these days. I, you know, <laughs> it's just something that happens year. every year. I know the feeling. Yeah, so now it's another year, and you don't, you know, it, it means nothing anymore. <laughs> no, that that is a problem I find as well. So, yeah, what can you do? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's marvelous. Right, right. I'm You've got a very snazzy-looking studio there. You've, well. You've, the the idea I think it would look better if it was sort of shot the other way. Because, you know, there's all of the keyboards are sort of this side, which is like that side's the stuff that I don't touch as much, but Yeah. Just sort of, I've got my keyboards here, there, you see, and that uh, it's where I work. Um but the one i I'm looking into now is as you can see, if I'm playing my piano like that, 
I'm looking over to my right, which is an iMac, which I'm not using for other anything else. So I, I use it, and the reason I use it is because it's got a camera. Whereas mm. my snazzy big widescreen doesn't have a camera and a and a mic. Is that a P three hundred? What the piano? Yeah. CP three hundred, yeah. Oh, you, see, see, you, see, you're in my territory see, now. Tim I, used to have a C uh, P two hundred. I, I I love the P two hundred, and I had it for years, and it suffered all sorts of abuse, and then it yeah. just it just stopped working, and it was a rugged thing. It was a fantastic yeah. instrument. Oh, I've had this. I played this in gig. I played it with Hawkwind uh, on stage, and then brought it back and plugged it in and carried on doing um, finale with it. You know. They feel wonderful, don't they? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just right. They feel good. They sound good. But unfortunately, mine stopped working. And oh it, it would have cost more to fix than it would to buy a second-hand ROM from someone. Yes, so I still indeed. I still haven't got around to it. But they, I, uh, well, I love them. Well, I'm sure you'll get another one when I, anyone turns up. You'll find one. I will. You'll find are, one in a skip or in the canal or, you know, dredge it out. It'll be fine. They're all either in Aberdeen or Plymouth. And <laughs> you think the one will turn up and it'll be within adequate travelling time, I think. But I I love them. How old is yours? Must These be- ones, God, I don't know. I've got two of them, actually. I've got one in storage and one, this one here. Um, and when I was in a bigger place with a, a, a big studio as part of the house... Uh, I just these were just tools in the studio. Yeah. Now this is my main armament, and, and in fact, I, I found out this was the one I was using pretty much for all inputting of notes. Mm. Uh, and you want you felt that all you needed was the you want balance keys, yeah. you know, so it feels like a piano. Yeah. And it, it needs to be MIDI, but this is the one I ended up with, and um, I've, I've kept with. Yeah, well, it's just I I love the feel of mine, and I was bereft. Yeah. I I was bereft when it stopped working. I was playing it. Uh, I I looked sideways out of the window. I came back to it, and it didn't do anything. Lit a candle. Oh no, it was it was awful. I mean, it was like grief. It, it took me two it took me two or three weeks just to get used to the fact I it it had gone. Was that when you came round all in black? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. And I I had it in the corner of the room, thinking, ah, oh, I'm going to get it fixed, and then I couldn't find anywhere to fix it, and it would have cost. 42 quid just to get it there so um yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it went yeah i had a vox continental like that i bought oh. it and it didn't really work that well and i never got it fixed and no actually got thrown out i think yeah that was the uh that was a problem with mine there's so. some some things are so temperamental and there's a there's a synth there that uh, an old roland and when somebody gave it me i plugged it in and I switched it on and i thought nothing's happening here, nothing's happening and then all of a sudden it just went poof the yeah. big Cloud of smoke filled the room. Switch it off, switch it off. Maybe that's one of the effects. Maybe, or maybe. No, Just explosion. <laughs> explosion one. WCCY.